Hello, hello. How are we this week? Now, is it me or are the pilot episodes slowing down in the lead up to the holidays or in some cases speeding up? So we're getting like two episodes a week on terrestrial TV to make sure all is said and done by the 24th. Either way, welcome back to another episode of The Pilot Principle, where we deconstruct the pilot episode of a new series to see if it's done its job in convincing us to let that timer run down to the second episode. This week, we're determining whether to let the clock tick down for Netflix's Obliterated. This is how we do over here. We start with breaking down who's in the series, as well as who wrote and directed it, taking a little nosy into their filmographies. After that, I'll give you a quick episode synopsis before I break down the first 10 minutes and I'll get into why the first 10 minutes later on. After all the formalities have taken place, I'll give you a close inspection at the main characters, some favourite and least favourite moments from the pilot episode before we look at the end of episode hook and finally see if that was enough to convince us to watch the entire series or at least the second episode. For the next 20-ish minutes, you're stuck with me, Jen, as I run you through what we're working with for the action comedy drama, Obliterated. I prefer the IMDB synopsis for the pilot episode, which is this. After thwarting an arms dealer's deadly plans, a special forces team celebrates the end of their mission with a rager until sobering news ends the party. I think that sums things up really well. So let's just dive into the credits for Obliterated. And round of applause, everybody, because we have a pilot title, which is the first time in a long time. And I love a title, me. So the pilot title for the pilot episode of Obliterated is Real American Heroes. And it has an episode length of 55 minutes with a series average of about 50 minutes, I'd say. So zero complaints for me. I mean, it's all happy days. Pilot title, check. Reasonable episode length, double check. The series was created by the pilot's executive producers, writers and directors, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg. As a duo, Hurwitz and Schlossberg created the incredibly popular Netflix series Cobra Kai, which I hear is ending next year, which is sad, but probably about due. And they also directed 12 episodes of Cobra Kai. They also wrote and directed American Reunion, which is part of the American Pie film franchise, as well as Harold and Kumar's adventures. I'm talking White Castle, Escape from Guantanamo Bay, Go to Amsterdam and Christmas, directing their escape from the bay and their trip to Dam as well. To add to the list of created by and written by credits, but not directed by, is Josh Held, who, yes, also created and wrote episodes of Cobra Kai with Hurwitz and Schlossberg. However, he is not so joined at the hip and, on his very own, wrote the screenplay for Hot Tub Time Machine and its simply named sequel, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Now, let's talk cast, and there are quite a few to go through, starting with Shelley Hennig, who plays Ava Winters. Now, Hennig has been in The Secret Circle. Now, what a throwback. That was doomed from the start as it starred series killer Britt Robertson. Hennig spent 10 years on Days of Our Lives as Stephanie Johnson and also acted in Dollface and The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window. Also, I know her from the MTV series Teen Wolf, where she played Millia Tate, and Man oh man did I love Teen Wolf. Until this day, I can't tell you if that show is good or if it's a good bad watch or if it's just bad, but it brought us Dylan O'Brien, so you'll have zero complaints from me. Next, we have Nick Zano, who plays Chad McKnight. Zano played Nate Haywood in DC's Legends of Tomorrow and also starred in Minority Report, the miniseries, Happy Endings, Two Broke Girls, 90210, the revived series, that is. And he also popped up in Cougar Town, was in Final Destination and was in What I Like About You, which is an early naughty series starring Amanda Bynes. 
Next on the list, we have Terence Terrell, who plays Trunk. And most recently, Terrell played Will in The Best Man, The Final Chapters, which I really meant to watch, but completely forgot about. And now it's been a year since that series was released, and that's very awkward for me. Terrell has also starred in the series's, series eyes, series is, Be Positive, Bosch, Bigger, Blackish, and Giants. Next, we have Paola Lazaro, who plays Angela Gomez. Lazaro has starred in Lethal Weapon, the series, and The Walking Dead, where she played Juanita Princess Sanchez. Next, yep, there's a lot of nexts in this list. Next, we have Kimmy Rutledge, who plays Maya Lerner, aka Tech Girl, and this is Rutledge's first major role. Now, she has starred in mostly short films, such as Death Wish, Tiki Weed, and The Cookie Crumbs, to name a few, as well as being in an episode of Shrill and the movie Half Sisters. Next, we have Eugene Kim, who plays Paul Young, and he has graced our screens in single episodes of a number of series, such as Magnum P.I., Brooklyn Nine-Nine, For the People, and The Rookie. So yay for him for getting a recurring main cast role. And for those of you who spotted it, For the People also starred Britt Robinson and didn't last because series killer. Next on the list, we have C. Thomas Howell, who plays Haggerty, and Blimey Howell has a thick, with like four C's, filmography. I'm talking 222 roles, according to his IMDb page. It looks like his breakout role was playing Ponyboy Curtis in the 1983 movie adaptation of The Outsiders. Now, before I end up going too far down a rabbit hole, looking at everything that Howell has done, here are a few random film and TV bits from his filmography. He starred in E.T., Red Dawn, SEAL Team, Southland, The Punisher and Criminal Minds. And finally, we have Costa Ronin, who plays Ivan Koslov. And Ronin has starred in The Americans, which is another series. I know I say this every week. It's another series that I really need to watch and I just haven't gotten around to yet, okay? Somebody should start putting together a list for me and maybe I'll eventually get around to watching all these programs that I haven't gotten around to watching yet. Anyway, back to Ronin. As well as The Americans, Ronin has starred in The Endgame, Homeland, Agent Carter, and Gotham. And that is everybody on the cast list, blimey. So as I said, Obliterated is available to be streamed on Netflix and it has a series length of eight episodes. I promise you that I have tried to make these little pre-production who's who factoid shorter, but it's just not working. So allons-y, let's go into what made me want to watch the series in the first place. And I want to ask, am I allowed to say that I wanted to watch a big dumb action movie if it comes from a place of love? Because ultimately that's why I decided to watch Obliterated. Also, I really did enjoy Shelley Hennig's character on Team Wolf and was curious about what she'd been up to these days. Also, I kind of feel like no one has really spoken about Obliterated, so I have zero preconceived notions, depending on whether you take silence as a good sign or as a bad sign, that is. So yeah, that's what made me press play on Obliterated. Now, with all of that finally being established, we can move into talking about the first 10 minutes. Now, why the first 10 minutes, you wonder? Well, because I was always taught that the first 10 minutes of any feature film script or pilot TV script is the place where you need to grip your audience to get them to continue 
reading or watching. So for example, if you're submitting a film script or a pilot script to a competition, a lot of the times they won't read past the first 10 pages. So that's all you've got to convince them to progress your script forward to that next stage of the competition. And so that of course then transcends to screen. So that's why I look at the first 10 minutes because ultimately that's the formula that's been established from the scripted stage to convince us to keep reading and ergo keep watching. So yes, now let's get into the first 10 minutes of Obliterated. We have a lot of establishing shots of Las Vegas before zooming into a pool party on a roof with all the works. I'm talking a DJ, men in trunks, women in bikinis, bottle service of VIPs. And did I mention it was daytime? I mean, don't these people have jobs? But anyway, we meet a woman with a name badge that says Molly who is serving drinks to VIPs and a douchebag man and his friend in the pool. And this is all before the camera tracks to what is going on beneath the pool party where we have two sweaty and suspicious men who are rigging a timer to go off in one minute and 45 seconds and so the clock is quite literally ticking. The countdown alert learner, a woman in a van click clacking away and she reaches out to the rest of the team who is undercover at the pool party. Molly is actually Winter, the douchey guy is actually McKnight and his friend is Truck. Oh yeah, not to mention Gomez, the sniper keeping track through her crosshairs a couple of roofs away. With not enough time to find and disengage the bomb, they have a decision to make. Shoot the target they've come to observe, a man called Koslov, and blow their cover, or wait and trust that Winters' instincts that Koslov is not the suicide bomber type is right. Now McKnight is desperate to get Gomez to pull the trigger, but we learn who's really in charge of things, Winters, who stands Gomez down and puts McKnight in his place like a boss. As it turns out, she was right, surprise, surprise, there is no bomb and the timer sets off a smoke show around the DJ booth and the two sweaty men from earlier make it in time to see their handiwork pay off. Winters then heads over to the target, Koslov, to do some light flirting in Russian. And apparently it's that easy because then he invites her to leave the city with him later that night, but not before ominously stating that something tells me that tonight the city's going to be dead, okay? <laughs> People in their thinly veiled bad, bad jokes. Anyway, Koslov disappears off to meet with a buyer and Winters has to once again stand down McKnight who is eager to follow him because it risks them taking down the buyer too. Instead, she calls in the vulture. We watch Koslov make the deal in a room of windows which smash to pieces when a helicopter arrives and shoots smoke bombs into the room. The US military have entered the building and well, things are, shall we say, obliterated from there as the tactical units swing in through the window, including a geared up McKnight and trunk. Winters enters more conventionally through the front door and joins the shootout. Oh, and let's not forget Gomez who beautifully, can I say, B-E-A-utifully takes out two baddies with a single bullet to both their heads, which, mm. And that is around the 10 minute mark. But as we're in the midst of action, I will keep going because next Winters and McKnight track Koslov down to one of the rooms where he sets off the nuke and gives Winters an ultimatum. And she ultimately decides to shoot him in the hand and take their chances with McKnight's bomb guy, Haggerty. And can I just say Haggerty is just a little bit too chill for my liking when it comes to his profession. But all in all, with seconds to spare, the countdown ends and the team celebrate their success with a literal middle finger up at the bad guy, Koslov, who gets taken away in handcuffs. And that, my friends, is the 16 minute marks. And yes, 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 I know, but exceptions to the rules, okay? The 10 minute point was literally in the middle of a scene, so we had to see it through. Okay, I really wish we could take 10 now because I am out of breath after talking through those first action-packed 10 minutes. But there is no time to slow down because 
we are moving on to talking about the main characters and blimey we've pretty much got to go through every dwarf for this one so I'll keep things snappy which spoiler alert shouldn't be that difficult. Right first thing to note just to make sure that we are all on the same page is that after the mission is over the team throw a massive party and everybody gets wasted which then comes to bite them in the ass as they're then called back to work by their boss to continue their mission and it's the epitome of shit acts over. So with that in mind let's talk characters and first is Ava Winters and she is definitely at the centre of the arguably ensemble cast. She is the boss. She is all about following things to the letter and she keeps her somewhat rebellious crew in order. Winters is the only one we get any sort of personal depth from as we catch a memory of her being proposed to and then learn that her fiance is presumably dead when somebody says to her that she hasn't had time to grieve. Now, I think Winters will struggle to keep her footing in the less than ideal situation her and her team are in. I'm talking about the fact that they're all shit-faced. She is used to being in control and keeping a tight ship and will learn whether she'll sink or swim now that things have unraveled. Chad McKnight, on the other hand, is the type of person who clearly thrives in chaos. He's a bit of a weird one personality-wise. He mostly acts like a frat boy, crass, drunk, and always willing to bend or break the rules and ask for forgiveness or patch things up with duct tape if things go south. We do get a surprising bit of vulnerability from him in the pilot episode, but it's quickly brushed under the table. So as things have gone haywire, we'll see if that side of him comes out a bit more or if that was a one and done. There really isn't much to say about the rest of the crew as with them, what we see is what we get. So starting with Trunk, he's a bit of a muscle man and he kind of feels more like McKnight's sidekick rather than a teammate come best friend. Though we do realise that this sidekick has a life of his own and he's clearly worried about getting out and fearing judgment for, so I can imagine him slipping up and trying to keep covering his secret or completely go in the opposite direction and start shouting it from the rooftop, especially with time ticking. Next is Angela Gomez, the sniper. And to be honest, I'm utterly blank on how to describe her. I mean, she's quote unquote, one of the guys making up a trio with McKnight and Trunk. But yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> and it's actually incredibly disappointing how forgettable she is considering being a Spanish speaking lesbian sniper sounds incredibly badass and memorable on paper. But yeah, no, I got nothing. So moving on to Maya Lerner, AKA Tech Girl. Now she is young compared to the rest of the team. The way Winters talks about her, she's a bit of a prodigy. She's incredibly smart at whatever techie tech thing it is that she's supposed to be good at. And she has a crush on McKnight. And to be honest, hearing Lerner's muttered thirsty comments is probably what infused most of the comedy into this pilot episode. I mean, I I definitely 100% without a doubt laughed out loud one or two times with the things that came out of her mouth that everybody conveniently missed. Lana is young, as I said, and that does come with a level of naivety, which she's already fallen prey to by the end of the episode. So I think after going into complete panic mode, she's going to learn her see what I did there? She's going to learn her how to take care of herself and hopefully discover a backbone by the end of the series. Okay, two more to run through. Next, we have Paul Young and he is the straight edge, quote unquote, party killer. He doesn't drink though. He doesn't begrudge anyone else's vices. He calls his wife like a loving husband and checks on his daughter whose prom he's missing like a good father. And that's all that is to be said about Paul. Though, of course, he's accidentally taken a shit ton of drugs. So we'll find out what parts of his personality that brings out. And to be honest, I have to say, it does really annoy me when they vilify characters like Paul on film and TV. I mean, can't someone just not drink or not do drugs and be left in peace? 
Finally, we have Haggerty, and we don't hear or see much of him in the pilot episode. He feels like who McKnight could end up being in another hundred years or so. One of his hands is injured, which doesn't instill a bucket load of confidence from someone whose job it is to stop a bomb before it goes off. And I can already tell he's going to cause all kinds of anxiety by attempting to stop a city level bomb while being half baked. And yeah, those are our dwarfs. Those are the seven main characters. Did I count that correctly? Winters, McKnight, Trunk, Gomez, Tech Girl, Paul, and Haggerty. Yeah, seven, seven dwarfs. Or I guess I should probably say reindeer at this time of the year, but we move. Anyway, so finally to say, as a little disclaimer, look at me, I do disclaimers now. There is a lot of drugs mentioned in this episode. So I feel I have to say, kids, don't do drugs. Adults, do whatever the heck you want. Okay, let's finally chat antagonist. And that is Ivan Koslov. He is your modern day villain. And by that, I mean, he gives zero Fs. <laughs> He's just here to party and sell city leveling bombs, you know? He's just here for a good time, not for a long time, you know? He doesn't seem to care who gets hurt and none of it, at least in the case of the pilot episode, feels in any way personally motivated. It's very much insert villain here. They jazzed a tried and shrewd and tired antagonist by putting him in a Vegas pool party. And you know what, as I think about it, for such a hefty team, only having one antagonist doesn't feel very fairly weighted. So I'm starting to wonder if another big bad is going to come into play down the line. And yeah, there we have it, our main characters and our antagonist. It's all been a bit go, 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 hasn't it? So let's, let's take a quick interlude. Let's slow things down and see what TV and film life is looking like beyond the pilot principle. <laughs> So yeah, let's just take a quick break from Obliterated and look at what else I've been watching. So firstly to mention is that I have been really intrigued by My Daemon on Netflix, which is an animated series about a boy with a storage demon that everyone is trying to capture dead or alive. The gist of the series, which I'm gonna try and give you, even though I've only watched five episodes at this stage, is that daemons have infected the earth somehow. And there are daemon users who control their daemons often treating them poorly in order to perform tasks such as killing other daemons for bounty or population control, or using their daemons to act as security for transportation systems. It's very beautifully animated and it's only 25 minutes. So it's a really easy watch. And I'm really interested in finding out where Kento, who is our protagonist and his daemon, Anna, where their story is going to lead over the course of the series. The only other show to talk about is Doctor Who. I know, I know, I couldn't go a whole episode <laughs> without talking about Doctor Who. I promise, I'm actually not that obsessed. It's just because I've been doing these Doctor Who pilot specials and it's the 60th anniversary like I mean what do you expect I'm British but by the time you listen to this episode of the pilot principle every episode of Doctor Who's 60th anniversary three episode special will have aired but I'm really enjoying it at the moment I watched Wild Blue Yonder last weekend and can I just tell you the drama the drama I mean she sneaks up on you she completely I didn't see her coming it was a bit of a slow burn to begin with. I remember being a bit like, oh, where's this going? Like what's happening? But it really reminded me of Midnight for any Whovians listening. It was just so phenomenally done, especially considering it was just Tate Tennant and being in a big empty room for 45 minutes. Just mm, 10 out of 10, chef's kiss would definitely recommend. And I'm looking forward to see how this all concludes with the giggle. 
Now, if you want to keep up to date with what I'm watching in general, not just pilot episodes, and maybe even what I'm reading, then go ahead and make sure to follow at Pilot Principle on Instagram and Twitter slash X, as well as threads. I want to say threads. I'm on threads. And yeah, okay, back to your regularly scheduled listening. Oh no, let me try that again. Okay, back to your regularly scheduled listening. Next to talk about is my favourite and least favourite moments from the pilot episode of Obliterated Real American Heroes. And I have to say, starting with favourites, considering I'm normally not into those kind of let's F shit up and get lit kind of films, except for probably The Hangover, this was surprisingly fun. I mean, that whole aspect served a purpose, which was good. We got to watch most of the characters completely lose their shit, thinking that they'll likely never see each other again. And then, oh. They're called in to regroup, finish a mission that they thought they'd call time on. And it's just so awkward. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it literally couldn't be me, but I didn't know where the pilot was going to go because essentially the beginning is the end for them. But it turned out they were actually just halfway through. So yeah, that was really well constructed, I think. And can I just take a moment to say that I really enjoy the series title. There is something so chaotic, brutal and serious about it. I mean, think about it, like things haven't been destroyed. They've been obliterated. I mean, come on. As far as a series title goes, it's a win for little old me. Okay, on the flippity flip side, what I didn't like, well, I think as I was expecting something rather action-y in general, I was disappointed when that took a nosedive after the opening, what was it, 16 minutes? So that sudden change in pace and tone, I was on edge expecting something, I don't know, like tear gas, like a like a squad of villains to come in and like start blowing everybody up and like gunning people down. But none of that happened. It was all cocaine, camels and coitus. So yeah, not necessarily something that I would pin against it, but that was just the vibe that I got from when I started. That would be action, 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 go, go, go. And it was action, chill, shit. <laughs> Okay, moving forward, there are two main hooks for the end of the episode, but just so we understand the mavity of the situation, there is a uranium bomb with the power to level Las Vegas somewhere in the city. And the only way to stop that thing going off is to find it or release the captured Ivan Koslov. There is not one single member of the team who isn't drunk as a skunk or high as a kite. The hook is that they've got a ticking clock and they're all off to meet with Koslov face-to-face at a black site. Will they be able to feign sobriety and ignore the gigantic ball of awkwardness sitting between them all? Also, a member of their team is AWOL and is unknowingly in the company of one of Koslov's operatives who they're about to going have a great night partying in Vegas with. And can I just say that it's already hard enough as it is making friends as an adult. Now you've got to be wary than working for the Russians? I mean, come on. Come on, Netflix. Give somebody a break. Zooming out and looking at the serial arc, here are the things that I think are going to go down. Firstly, the team have got seven hours. Will they find the bomb before 9am? If they do find the bomb before 9am, will Haggerty be sober enough to defuse it? In terms of team awkwardness, McKnight and Tank, they need to discuss what went <clears throat> down in the shower. McKnight and Winters need to discuss those three little words. Winters and Lerner need to discuss that whole bitch thing. And I'm sure all of it will be done in a way that is comic, convoluted and kick-ass. Now there's only one question left. Will I be continuing with Obliterated? Pause for dramatic effect. Yes. However, I'm not in any rush and both of my hands are held up to you listeners because I'm here to admit that it's not the best series out there. 
but it was a really easy watch and the episodes aren't that long, you know, comparatively. I can keep it in my back pocket during the holiday season and if I need a break from all the warm and fuzzy, snowy, jingle bell ball of it all, Obliterated will be waiting for me. So yeah, that's sort of where my train of thought was going after the pilot episode. But you know, that's just me. And so I'd say if you prefer your action comedy leaning a little heavier on the action, I'd suggest skipping this and slipping on Die Hard. Obliterated has a lot of characters. And I'd say if you want a singular focus and for the stakes to be a little more personal, then you might want to obliterate this series while you're ahead and perhaps watch Die Hard. <laughs> And finally, if you prefer to remain on brand for the holiday season with all your watches from film to TV, then <laughs> Die Hard might be more preferable to you. <laughs> okay, right. In all seriousness, though, let's move on to give the pilot episode Real American Heroes a pilot score. And to be honest, I'd quite comfortably give this one a two out of five. You quickly get an understanding of the characters, which is great because there's like 84 of them. They've got specific archetypes you can imagine flashing across the screens. You know, the boss, the good looking one, the muscle, the goody two shoes, the loose cannon, the geek, the chilled one, the other one. So yeah, that's quite nice. It just makes it really easy to follow, especially with all the craziness going on. On the opposite side of that though, is that in 55 minutes, I know who eight characters are with a snap of my fingers. And that kind of just highlights how shallow real American heroes and potentially all of obliterated will be. You know, we've got the random Russian bad guy, stock type characters with no real backstories and Las Vegas acts as a sort of fairground with the lights, the parties, the randomness to distract us from the fact that there's not much going on. And finally, it also got lost in the middle with the penthouse party section, which honestly kind of dragged. I mean, yes, I understood the point that it was trying to make and really emphasize how crazy everybody got, but I was clock watching. I was honestly wondering where things were going, what's happening next, where the, where's the next bit of action coming from? And so they weren't able to keep me engaged throughout the entire pilot episode, which isn't a good thing. Now that we've hashed out the fundamental principles, will you be giving the pilot episode a watch or have you already obliterated? <laughs> I'm so sorry, I could not help myself. Have you already binged all eight episodes of Obliterated on Netflix? Let me know over on threads, Instagram and Twitter slash X at Pilot Principle, where you can also drop a suggestion of what you'd like for me to review next. Follow and rate this podcast, have a good week and I'll catch you on the next episode where we will hopefully be rounding things up for 2023. Oh.